So I mentioned before that we have been the teachers. We've been going over the uh, going through the eightfold path, uh, starting a few weeks ago. I think I started with Wise View, uh, and uh, last week Ian gave a really lovely talk on um, Wise Effort, which is moving into the third section of the eightfold path. The first section is. Um, uh, oh my God. Um, wisdom. <laughs> the second section is uh, ethical behavior or sila. And now we're in uh, samadhi, which is concentration or uh, collectedness of mind. And, and that's effort and mindfulness and samadhi or um, concentration. And as I said, last week Ian gave a beautiful talk on, on um Effort, which is, you know, recognizing when the mind is caught up in things that are not helpful or beneficial, um, like compulsive thinking or future thinking or the past or just those thoughts and to make the effort to return. And effort is a real integral part of mindfulness. All these factors in the Eightfold Path, which is the Buddha's instruction to the Buddha's prescription for moving away from suffering, moving away from dukkha and towards freedom. And uh, they all support each other. These factors support each other. And I find that this whole practice, is the, one of the main foundations is mindfulness. Because without mindfulness, you're really just working on your conditioned thinking your habits of mind, you're not paying attention. You don't see the water you swim in because it's hard to see the water you swim in because it's clear and you're swimming in it. You don't even recognize it's there. So to have this, this willingness to turn towards and say, what's actually present? What's the actual experience in this moment? It's so foundational. It's, it's, the, it's the cornerstone of awareness. It is awareness. It's recognizing that I'm uh, the, that my butt is in this chair, and I feel the foot on the floor, and the hand here, and I can feel the uh, clothing against my skin. I can feel this microphone um, around my ears. And so to have that awareness, and awareness of emotions and feelings and um, thoughts, instead of just being letting them come and go and, and being grabbed and pulled and, and tossed in a billion different directions and then go, wow, how did that happen? Why did I do that? How did I end up here again? You know, but when we begin to bring mindfulness, then we can begin to see, oh, that's what's happening. And then to practice, the Buddha used the word disentangle a lot. We begin to disentangle from those, those thoughts those habits, those neural pathways that are so ingrained that we, that, you know, unless we pay attention, we don't know we're there. They're there. And um, it's all about insight. It's seeing clearly. It's about developing wisdom and discernment. That's this, this path is a path of, this practice is a practice of wisdom and compassion. So you have, you know, it's, it's not just this brain. It's not just this this head with its logic and its reason, but there's a heart as well. So you have this, this kindness and this compassion and this, this clarity, this wisdom, and they all work together. Um, you know, I, there's, a, there's a quote from uh, Bhante Gunaratna who said, 
Um, mindfulness is escape into reality rather than from it. Not, not what a lot of us want to do, um, because uh, a lot of times reality is not what we had in mind. It wasn't what we like. It's unpleasant. And this, this old reaction is to, to push away something that's unpleasant. And instead, it's the invitation to just be where you are. I always like to say no one wins a fist fight with reality, but we sure try. We sure try. And so this practice of mindfulness is to bring us into uh, alignment with reality. You know, when I used to say that my mind and reality were never in the same room. I was always somewhere very far away, and this practice has allowed me to just be present for much of the time. I'm not even going to say most of the time, because I go through my day, you know, and um, my mind's somewhere else. I walk into walls and do things I don't want to do because I'm not paying attention, like driving past your freeway off-ramp off because I wasn't paying attention. And that's, that's how we walk, uh, we do a lot of our lives if we're not paying attention. And so I want to just go through, um, go through uh, the four foundations of mindfulness because that is the Buddhist teaching on how to be established in mindfulness. It's, it's, it's called the four foundations, satipatthana, but it's also called the four establishments of mindfulness. I'm a, I'm a great fan of Bhikkhu Analyo, who's a very wise monk who has written many, many, many books. He's quite a scholar, and, so, and he's quite prolific, so he's written a lot. And he wrote his PhD dissertation was on the Satipatthana, this, this sutta. Um, and he's also translated the various um, uh, iterations of it. They're, they're in Pali and in Chinese and different, different um, copies of it. And they all are a little bit different in the fourth foundation. Um, and I'll speak to that when we get to that, uh, get there. But this is the direct path to realization. Satipatthana is if you, if you practice this and if you only practice this, you're going to get, you're going to um, find liberation, freedom from uh, clinging, freedom from craving. And I, there was somebody, I, I was talking about this, I teach a Saturday afternoon class, and I was talking about this last night, and somebody was saying, you know, enlightenment and liberation seemed like the impossible, impossible task. And he's, he's new to practice, and he's in his late 60s, and he says, I have a finite amount of time left. And he says, I don't think I'm going to get there. But then he also recognized that there is liberation in the moment. We can have liberation in this moment when we're free from attachments. And that's precious. It doesn't necessarily last. But to have that awareness and to experience it is really important. Um, there's a book called Heartwood of the Bodhi, uh, Heartwood of the Bodhi Tree um, that is um, written by, I always confuse it, I think it's Buddha Dasa, Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa. I always say Buddha Gosa, but that's somebody else. Anyway, um, it's, it's, he talks about, and he talks about present time liberation. So that it's not something that's far off, but that we can be with it right here, right now. <clears throat> so the four foundations of mind, mindfulness, and, and you know, I, I, I was talking about um, uh, Ian's talk in, uh, last week, and he talked about, you know, intention and aspiration and practice. And this is the practice. This is what we do when we sit down and close our eyes or 
practice walking meditation. This is what it is. And it's the first foundation is breath and body. The second foundation is feeling tones. The third foundation is mindfulness of the mind. And the fourth foundation is the dhammas. And I'll go into each of those. And the, the first one, um, this breath and body is so important. It's a real uh, grounding, especially the, the mindfulness of the body. I mentioned that we, we are the, live in the society that is really a lot of logic, a lot of reasoning, a lot of thinking our way out of things, and really a disconnect from the experience of the body, the somatic experience that is so powerful and so important because so much wisdom, so much experience, so much of our, our, our history is in our bodies, and we have to be connected to them. There's a, there's a, there's a book, a very, very good book about um, trauma, and it's called The Body Keeps the Score. And so there's a lot of times emotions, and our emotions show up in our bodies. Feelings, my, when I'm angry, when there's anger, I feel it in my chest. When there's fear, it's in my belly, it's in my gut. And so once I was able to start connecting to those emotions in my body, I was able to be less reactive. Because if I'm not aware of them, they can just kind of overwhelm and take over. Instead of me saying, oh, look, there's some anger, I say, I'm angry, or whatever the emotion is. Um, and so it's a reconnection to the body. And it's a reconnection or a connection to the breath. Sometimes it's a reconnection to the breath, because I know I can go for a really long time and not even be aware that I'm breathing. Obviously, I am but I'm so caught up in thinking or nerves that I'm like, oh, when was the last time I took a breath? And then you have to consciously take a breath and reestablish that connection. And um, this, this body awareness, this breath awareness is a grounding because the breath and the body are always here, which is often when you go to meditation, the introductory instructions are, be with your breath, be with your body. And, and I like to give the alternative to not everyone is uh, comfortable with, with using the breath as an anchor because of various reasons, history, you know, maybe physiological problems or issues. Same thing with the body. Sometimes people are really uncomfortable because there's deep trauma and it brings up some things. So there are alternatives if the breath and the body are, are, are challenging or problematic in this practice. You can feel your foot on the floor. You can listen to a sound. There's, there's a lot of ways to connect to the present. But the breath and the body are this, this anchor that's available to many, many people and the Buddha talked about. Um, and it's also, uh, it, it, it allows this stability. When we, when we can connect with the breath and the body, there's a stability that allows us to move into the next factors, the next, um, excuse me, the next parts of this, this the, four, the next foundations. 
The Buddha was so wise in his teachings. He laid things out so logically. And you have one, and then you have the next one, which builds on top of that, and then the next one. It's beautiful, which is why we have all these lists. It's also an easy way to remember something when you have an oral tradition, to have these lists and things. But it's also very logical. And one leads to the next, leads to the next. And um, also in this foundation is a lot of... Um, practice around the body itself, the parts of the body, and then the recognition that this body will die. So there's cemetery meditations, there's charnel ground meditations, there's disintegration of the body meditation. It's an invitation to recognize that we are human, to recognize our mortality. What is Biko Nalios says? He says, he calls it the I don't want to die practice this invitation to recognize that it's there's the human condition the the human condition is the first the first noble truth there is birth there there is dukkha there is discontent dissatisfaction suffering we're we're born we die there's grief there's loss and this 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 practice of recognizing our mortality brings that into the picture again it's so important to have that awareness that recognition that this is all impermanent and to become comfortable with it it's really important to become comfortable with that because it's going to happen and we live in a culture that's really good about denying death it's it's you know you see it on the tv all the time you see it in ads you hear it in, in just the things people say i read something not too long ago um I, I, I can't remember where it was, um, and it said people who walk, I don't even remember the details, but something like people who walk 20 minutes a day or three times a week have um, much less chance of dying than those that don't. <laughs> and I know that's not what they meant, but that's what they wrote because that's the way it's like, oh, if you walk 20 minutes a day, three days a week, you won't die. Better chance of not dying. And it's like, yeah, no, um, we're going to die. Um, and to allow yourself to have some kind of recognition and to begin to work with that because that there is a lot of fear around that. There is a lot of, and to normalize it. I think it's so important. I do, I do a practice. I did the practice a year to live many, many years ago, and I've been facilitating groups over the years, and it's so important to, to have that awareness. Um, and so this establishment of breath and body gives us a groundwork. And when we have that groundwork, we can move into the second foundation, which is this awareness of feeling tone. And feeling tone is not happy, sad. It's whether some experience is pleasant or unpleasant, or neither. And this is a very, very um, integral piece of human beings. It's kind of evolutionary. It goes back, way back in time, to that fight, flight, or freeze. If something's, something's dangerous, we want to take off or mitigate it. And if something's pleasant, we want to bring more into it. It's a, it was a matter of survival. And so it's kind of every experience we have through our senses, you know, there's the typical sight, sound, smell, taste, touch, but in thought is also considered a sense in Buddhism, in Buddhist teaching. And um, 
So even thoughts, all of those senses are the mind or the subconscious labels quickly, quickly, nanosecond. We're not even aware of it a lot of the time. Pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, neither. And the vast majority of our experiences are neither, but some of them, you know, when things are unpleasant, the tendency is to push them away. We have this tendency to lean into, how do I make it stop? How do I fix it? How do I get rid of it? And the, and the uh, other side is true when something's really pleasant, we want to have more. We want to cling, we don't want to let it go. And so much of this is unconscious. So to bring the awareness of pleasant, unpleasant into our, bring it into our awareness is so wise because then we're less reactive. We can respond instead of react. Um, we can respond instead of react. And um, that's really important so we don't do things we don't want to do. Yay. Um, so um, it frees us from our conditioning because we are conditioned beings. It's, we are just, you know, we're trained to behave in certain ways based on how we were raised, or based on our culture, based on the things we hear, the things we read, the things we see. And they're different for each of us. It's what our families told us, it's what our schools told us, it's what our peers tell us. It's just things we kind of make up in our mind. I hear a random thing and then I create a whole scenario out of it and that becomes, becomes real in my life. It becomes solid. And then I, I re react accordingly to what I think. Um, and this helps us to see this pleasant, unpleasant awareness helps us to let go of that conditioning. Or recognize that conditioning and see that it's often not related to reality. It's often just, just this old stuff that we've been carrying around for so long. Uh, mindfulness allows us to look and to see and to be with. We learn how to be with. And Bhikkhu Bodhi wrote a great book. There's a, there's a, Bhikkhu Analia wrote a book called Satipatthana, The Direct Path to Realization, which is really good, but it's his PhD dissertation, so it's really dry. Um, and he wrote another one called Satipatthana Meditation, A Practice Guide, which is really accessible. Um, it's still a little academic, but it's much more accessible than the other one. So if you're interested in really diving in, um, I, I really recommend it. He's, he's so smart. Um, but Bhikkhu Bodhi wrote a, a little book called The Noble Eightfold Path, which is really um, uh, a great handbook to going through this. And in talking about feeling tone, Vedana is the Pali word, he says, um, and I really like this, because it's what happens with our minds that this conditioning, um, the link between feelings and defilements, defilements are greed or hatred or aversion or, or craving, um, is, not necessarily, is not always a necessary one. Pleasure does not always have to lead to greed wanting something. Pain doesn't always have to lead to aversion or pushing, pushing something away. 
and neutral feeling to delusion. The tie between them can be snapped. And one essential means for snapping it is mindfulness. Feeling will stir up a defilement only when it's not noticed, when it is indulged rather than observed. By turning it into an object of observation, mindfulness diffuses the feeling so that it cannot provoke an unwholesome response. Then instead of relating to the feeling by way of habit through attachment, repulsion, or apathy, we relate by way of contemplation, using the feeling as a springboard for understanding the nature of experience. We begin to notice. And I, and I was reminded last night um, of, a, of an experience I used, I used to have, a, a conditioning I had that brought up an unpleasant experience that caused me to have these um, reactions. I was, um, I got dumped from a relationship. The guy dumped me for a person from Boston who had red hair. So from then on, when I would run across some a Boston accent, I would just like, <laughs> that was like an autopilot auto reaction. And then if they had red hair, it was like, ugh. Have you ever had that experience where you just meet someone and you just don't like them? We don't even know why. And so that's an, an aversive feeling tone, unpleasant, unpleasant, unpleasant. And if I'm not paying attention, I could be nasty to that person. I could dismiss them because I can have a tendency to be dismissive or hopefully had a, a, much, a tendency to be dismissive, much less now, I hope, and can just like, meh. And so I don't want to do that. I don't, and, and we do that all the time with so many things. Um, we hear a song or something happens and we immediately go into this, this story, this fabrication based on our conditioning. But when we slow down and begin to recognize, oh, that's unpleasant, that's pleasant, that is where we begin to shift from reactivity to mindfulness and awareness and seeing more clearly. That's so key. Absolutely key, you know? And then that takes us to the third foundation, which is the mind states, the moods of the mind. We begin now to expand and recognize. In the sutta, it says know when greed is present, know when greed is not present, know when anger is present or aversion and know when it's not. But that's just the, you know... It's knowing when emotions are present, when feelings are present. It's like when there's happiness or crankiness or jealousy or anger or grief, beginning to have an awareness. For years, I was clueless about emotions. I was really dis so disconnected. I was so in my head of trying to manage how the world was that I'd be okay that I didn't actually know what was going on. So to begin to turn towards and be with was revelatory. I was like, wow. And, and connection with the body is so important. And you see how these things are building on each other. There's the connection with the body and then recognizing when things are pleasant or unpleasant or neither. And then when the emotions arise, you can find them in the body and then go, ooh, that's unpleasant. 
remember, you know, I, again, I was thinking about something, some, some feeling would arise. It's like some fear or some uh, 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 nervousness or anxiety about something that was going to happen and, or some sadness and, and have this feeling arise. It's like, oh, I don't want to feel that. I don't want to feel that. But be aware of that tendency to want to push it away. And instead, turn towards it with gentleness and say, you're here. Let it be here, you know? So it, begin, it gives us a starting place for contemplation and recognition of this conditioning, you know? And we're mindful of these emotions, these mind states, the mood of the mind. It's really helpful to have them, you know, recognize the mood of the mind without identifying with it. You know, we care for the mind without being trapped by it. This is, um, I really, I really appreciate the teachings of um, Thich Nhat Hanh when he talks about this type of thing. He talks about the seeds of consciousness, which comes from the Yogacara, Yogacara tradition in Buddhism, which talks about all our conditioning, all our experiences kind of plant seeds and then when conditions are right, they bloom and they blossom. And so by that, it's like, if, you know, when the, that experience I had of being dumped planted a seed. And then when I saw someone with red hair with a Boston accent, that conditions were right and that aversion blossomed. And that's true with so many things. And so to be aware of that and go, oh, here's that aversion. Instead of saying, I hate you, there's like, oh, there's this aversion because of this conditioning, because of this experience. And you may not even have that awareness of why, but just a recognition of, oh, here it comes. Jealousy, somebody has, is doing something you want or has something you want. I remember going through that and going, I'm not supposed to, this was just a few years ago, a friend was doing something and all of a sudden there was this jealousy. And I'm like, I'm, the first reaction is, I shouldn't feel jealous. There's a judgment. I know better than to be jealous. How can I, all this practice, all these years, blah, 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 all the stories, the judgment. And then realizing it's like, oh, you know what? Yogacara, seeds of consciousness, the conditions were right, here comes jealousy. The conditions are right. Here comes some anger. And allow it to be there without putting it on. I went, to see, I went to see Elton John last night. He's doing his farewell tour. And, um, and all, some of the songs he played, I found myself tearing up. And, and, and he was singing towards the, the next to the last song. He, sang, he says, this was my first hit in 19, from 1970. And I'm... And I don't know if he said maybe you remember it or what. And I was with a friend of mine who wasn't born in 1970. And, um, and I said, oh, yeah, I remember that. I was, uh, I was a freshman in high school. I remember that song. And so to hear things for me and then have this, these emotions well up, for some of them, it's like, and then I just get to be, it's like, oh, wow, look at this emotion. Look at these feelings, the conditioning, the seed that's planted, and then the conditions were right to have this, this whatever emotion was, nostalgia, 
um, the, the like, wow, the awareness of the passage of time from being 15 to 67, you know, that's a long time. And, and that, that impermanence. And so all these things, and just to hold it without needing to do anything or to fix anything, because nothing's broken. We're taught so often that it's not okay to be angry. You only get to have grief for a week and a half or whatever. We're taught how to manage or not manage or ignore or deal with things that may not be beneficial or wholesome or skillful. And the Buddha says, be with, know it, be with it, with kindness, with compassion, with gentleness. I heard, um, I heard something that said, it said, sink to the bottom of the heart and let it be there. That's what a, uh, I love the definition of equanimity, mm. which is a willingness to be intimate with our experience without preference, without preference for it to be something different. That's the practice. And so the mind states, this third, this third, um, foundation is just awareness of the mind states and then the fourth one is understanding the habits of the mind and it's becoming aware of the contents of the mind and it's a much more um, there's a little bit more investigation um, what was it yeah you begin you you have uh, not just an awareness of the emotion and whether it's present, pleasant or unpleasant, but there's this, this, this broader awareness of, oh, this is not wholesome. Can I let go of it? And how can I cultivate what is wholesome? And it kind of falls back on wise effort, being willing to let go of what's not helpful and to cultivate what is helpful. And, and, and in, the, in the traditional sutta in the Majjhima Nikaya, there are five lists inside of the the fourth foundation the mindfulness of the dhammas there's the hindrances the seven factors of awakening there's the aggregates the sense stores um and the four noble truths but in as i, I think i mentioned excuse me some of the different trends or some of the different copies that we have they're not, all of those five are not all included, but what are in all of them are the hindrances and the awakening factors. And Analio kind of talks about the, he focuses on those two. And I think that's a really helpful way so that we're not bogged down in lists and things because the hindrances are what get in the way of awakening. They hinder our liberation. They hinder our freedom. And the awakening factors support the awakening. And so to begin to recognize what gets in the way of our freedom. And the, and, and the hindrances are nothing I haven't mentioned before. It's just a different way of looking at them. Craving, wanting things to be pleasant all the time. Lost in that, I want the pleasant, I want the pleasant. I want the good stuff. Whatever it is, however we define it in our world. And it changes all the time based on our, we, where we are in our lives. There's, no, there's nothing that's solid. Everything's changing. And so to be aware of that, so what we want or what we don't want, 
this is good, that's bad, that's bad, this is good. And things change. Sometimes, you know, ice cream is good, and then you have too much, and you get brain freeze, and then it's not good. So even something that we think is pleasant can be unpleasant, like a minute later. So nothing is solid, so just to recognize. So craving aversion. Another pair of hindrances is restlessness and worry. I was listening to a talk by Larry Ward the other day, who's a, who's a student of Thich Nhat Hanh, an amazing teacher in his own right, and he says, restlessness is always running. You know, he said, Thich Nhat Hanh said, we wake up running. And I, I think that's true in our society. We wake up and there's always something, always something, always something. So this restlessness is a part of what we're doing. We're not, we can't be here. We're always leaning into the next thing, whatever that is. Restlessness and worry. Restlessness and worry. Can we let go? Can we let go? Irina um, Weissman, many of you know her, uh, she's a guiding teacher right now out at Damadina, and she she meant I was working with her a couple of years ago, and I was talking about being overwhelmed, which is a lot of worry, and she said overwhelm is all in the mind. It's lost in the future, most of the time, and if I can let go of that and come back to right here, there's some breath. Maybe all that's going on right now is breathing in and breathing out. Letting go of that, you know? And then the flip side of that restlessness and worry is dullness, sloth, torpor. Che I like to think of it as checking out. How do I check out of my experience? I don't want to feel. I'm going to play solitaire for seven hours or do whatever it is that checks me out. Sex and drugs and out, rock and roll, whatever it is. Shopping. I mean, we all have our own way of, of disconnecting. And not saying that, you know, it's, there's not a time and a place for everything. Sometimes you just, you know, there's a lot going on. I just want to put my feet up and read a, read a murder mystery or go for a walk or whatever. But knowing, having our minds wide open when we're doing that, that's the important thing, to have the awareness not just being driven willy-nilly, but to go, oh, I'm, I need to take some downtime. I'm just going to relax for a couple of hours or something. So to have that awareness. Um, and, and then doubt is the last hindrance. And so to have this recognition, doubt is like, this is never going to work. I can't do it. These teachings, whatever. You know, it's so to when you're, ha there's, there's doubt, skeptical doubt, that's important. And, you know, the Buddha said, don't believe it just because I say it. You want to investigate, but not doubt just to, to doubt for doubt's sake, that, you know, undermining reality. You have to come into and, you know, say, oh no, this is, that's just questioning, that's just fear. Oftentimes, doubt is what's underneath doubt is fear. So, when you have the hindrances, the th awakening factors help to let go of the hindrances because the awakening factors, the first one is mindfulness. Pay attention, what's going on? These things are all like Russian nesting dolls. You know, they're here and then they support each other and they come back and then you find it over here. But mindfulness is this ground. So, paying attention. What's happening? What's present? Oh, restlessness. You know, it's really important that we recognize the hindrances. Recognize them as hindrances. I see you. 
You know, the Buddha said to Mara, the, the personification of the hindrances, I see you, Mara. I see you for what you are. So I see you, restlessness. I see you. And then the next factor of awakening is investigation, inquiry. What is this? Is there something underneath? And sometimes we get into the body, the somatic experiencing. Where is it in the body? Is it in the belly, in the chest, in the arm, in the jaw, in the shoulders, in the back? Everyone has a different experience of their emotions. Where is it? Be with it. And then there's the um, effort, which is the same effort as, as, as the prior factor. Be willing to let go. Be willing to come into the present. Be willing to let go of the story, the fabrication of the mind, the, the conditioning. The conditioning says, I, you have to see me as this. The conditioning says, this is how my life should look. The conditioning says, I'm not allowed to say, I'm not allowed to open my mouth in this situation, or whatever it is. The conditioning says we're unlovable. Whatever the, whatever the painful conditioning is, that's what, find this where the suffering is. Start where you are. And investigate that and make the effort to let go. And when you can let go, even for a moment, the next factor is joy, this ease, and then tranquility. This stuff can, even when things are crappy, even when the world is upside down, you can have some ease when you're fully present. Because the practice is not about every all the ducks are in a row and then I can be happy. It's like there is some ease in spite of the world. I don't, I'm not dependent on outside circumstances for freedom and contentment. There's this inner equanimity. And that's what happens is the next factors are, there's the joy, there's the tranquility, then there's the, 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 the samadhi, the concentration, the collectedness of the mind, the steadiness of the mind, which leads to equanimity the ability to be present for whatever shows up without holding on to anything, without needing things to be a certain way. We're just open and resting in this present time awareness. You know? And I, and I have this highlighted. Um, it's really important to know when the hindrances are not present. So often we're focused on them, but it's really important to also know when there is ease, when there is joy, and to let it be there. Sometimes we say, no, no, I can't be happy right now because all this other stuff's going on. How selfish of me. And it's like, and if you do that, that's a denial of reality. If there's joy, be with it. If the sunset is gorgeous, Appreciate it. Experience that. What does that feel like in the body? Is that pleasant? Oh, that's pleasant. Rick Hansen is, is a, a, a neuroscientist, and he's written a book called Buddha's Brain, and he goes into a lot of the, the, the neurological um, impacts of mindfulness. And, and through the, the lens of the Buddhist teachings, it's really an excellent book. And, and he talks about the importance of being with what's pleasant for 
oh, maybe 15, 20 seconds, like, because we're like always on to the next thing. So rest, I always think of night blooming jasmine in the spring, you know, when you walk down the block and you say, I love that smell. And it's like, be with it for 15 or 20 seconds. Let it, let it reshape your neural pathways. It actually means something. It actually has an impact. And I, my highlight is joy is an essential aspect of the teachings. Rick, um, excuse me, James Bear is a, from Spirit Rock, wrote a book called Awakening Joy, and he's taught a class for years. And it's really, it's true. This is a practice of joy. Look at all the folks who are really enlightened. They're so joyful and light. It doesn't mean we're in denial or spiritual bypass. It doesn't mean we don't acknowledge grief. Because we can be present with grief. We're able to be fully with whatever is here. Sadness, grief, loss, as well as joy. As well as happiness. We're able to hold everything. So um, this, is, this is mindfulness. This is really key. And the four foundations are such an important part of our practice. And, um, you know, I, I, think, I think Ian said last, last week, you know, it's not linear. It's a spiral. We start maybe with the breath and the body, and then we get more and more deep into this because there's, there's more and more subtleties that show up the longer we practice. But we, we begin to have that taste of ease, that taste of contentment. And um, that's what this is all about. The Buddha said, I teach suffering and the end of suffering. And this is part of his prescription for the end of suffering. So thank you, thank you, thank you, my friends, for uh, being here and your kind attention. Um, I hope this has been of some benefit. Thank you for visiting Undefended Dharma. These teachings are freely offered. However, if you would like to make a donation to help support the technology that makes these podcasts possible, please visit marystancavage.org backslash support. Thank you.